You're now plugged in to the Delphi Podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Delphi Podcast. I'm Tom Shaughnessy, and I help lead Delphi Ventures, as well as host some of the most in-the-weeds and thought-provoking guests across crypto, spanning Layer 1s to DeFi, NFTs, and beyond. The goal is to have fun, but also to dive deep and offer foundational episodes on projects and founders. Also, check out our research on Delphi Digital or miss out on the most compelling research there is. It's up to you. As a reminder, nothing said on this podcast is a solicitation to buy or sell any security or token or to make any financial decisions. Delphi Ventures may hold tokens mentioned, so check out our transparency page in the show notes for more info. With that, let's dive in. See you guys on the other side. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Welcome back. I'm here with Seal. Seal, thanks so much for joining me today, man. It's, it's great to see you again. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Looking forward to the conversation. There's so much we can talk talk about and hit on. I do want to start and allow you the opportunity for probably the few people out there who may not know who you are at this point. Um, just a quick, you know, background in yourself and kind of how your journey or experience with with crypto and Web three has gone so far. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, first off, I have no fucking clue who I am either, so I will try to explain it. Um, I. Grew up on the East Coast. My dad's a professor, so he's a professor at Harvard. So I grew up just outside Cambridge, ended up out in California, um, got into the warm weather and played baseball at Stanford for a few years, um, gave up a few legitimate bomb home runs during that time, which was a blast. Also had some good times out there, but had a great experience. Um, did my master's there, took a job in finance, like very traditional path, right? I, I went into private equity had no fucking clue what private equity was when I took the job, to be honest, and probably didn't deserve it either, but um, figured it out as I went, which became a common thread in my life um, and really enjoyed it, but started to feel, you know, a few years into my career that I was much more interested in technology and in thinking about the future than I was in um, investing in kind of older businesses that had been around for a long time. And while I learned a lot, I was ready to try something new. And so I didn't really know you, there, there's kind of this tendency with careers to like get sort of a momentum like institutional momentum or like sunk cost where you've just you've spent time in something so you stay in it um, and i didn't really know what the change point was going to be for me personally um and so i just kind of started putting myself out there and getting out in front of other people spending more time with friends who were in the technology world um, and a lot of those people this is like you know 2014 2015 2016 2017 it started to become clear to me that a lot of those people were interested in this thing called crypto. And I had no damn clue what it was. When they would explain it to me, I'd be like, that sounds fucking crazy. I remembered having a roommate back in my college days who had been like mining Bitcoin in our dorm room. And that's in 2013. And I had like bought a tiny bit then just because, you know, he was talking about it. And it, I wish it was more. I wouldn't be talking to you right now. I'd be on an island somewhere. Um, but you know, I had like kind of known, so I was starting to learn. And I just have this general rule of thumb that if enough of my smart friends are talking about something that sounds crazy to me, I take it seriously and I make a point of digging in. And so that started my journey really like before the boom of what was it, 2016, 2017, like leading up to that, I think Bitcoin was probably at like, uh, I was, I feel like it was sub a thousand. I, I need to go look at the price chart, but this is like early 2016 maybe. And so I think it was sub a thousand and I started just reading more, trying to understand some of the technology and just talking to people. And it was a pretty small community at the time. And then, you know, the boom and bust or the, the, the boom and then bust happened. And I noticed that like 
the core people I had talked to were still building and they were still talking about it and still around the space. And so I figured, okay, there's something real here. And I just kind of logged it in my mind, stuck around the space, kept learning. And that obviously has now turned into this kind of flourishing journey where I wouldn't consider myself like fully red pilled on everything, to be totally <laughs> honest. I'm like a curious observer. I'm a skeptic at some times. Um, I'm invested in the space because I believe in investing things that I want to learn more about and putting skin in the game. Um, but I'm just a fascinated learner around these things. And my God, the amount of talent that has flown into Web3 over the last year and a half, two years is truly remarkable. So I'm a fan of that, if, if nothing else. Yeah, no, I, I uh, unfortunately didn't buy Bitcoin back in, in 2013 um, either. And, and I gotten turned on to it when I was undergrad as well and kind of came back to it in somewhat similar fashion, just really recognizing this thing hadn't died yet, right? And people were still talking about, people were still, to your point, building around it. And, you know, I definitely want to get into the areas in which, especially within the, we'll call it crypto web three space that you're investing in. But I, I think a good kind of kicking off point is an area where, um, or an idea in which you and I kind of rallied around an idea from you where I was scrolling through my Twitter feed one day <laughs> and I saw you put out this thread around X games down. It was just, I think the tweet was just, let's start a DAO to buy the X games. And I immediately was like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm a big X games fan myself. This is perfect timing with the Olympics going on, obviously. And the more we kind of started to talk about it, and again, don't have to disclose anything, you know, that you're not comfortable with around, you know, talks and what's going on there. But I'm, I'm really keen to kind of dig into that idea a little bit, because I do think it is the crux of some of the excitement around Web3 and, and what this technology can enable. So we'd love to just hear the rationale that you were thinking when yeah. you put out that thread around, you know, starting a doubt to buy the X Games. Yeah. You know, the way I tend to think about this is like, if you, if you imagine um, Web1, Web2, Web3 and kind of the progression... Web one was open source, you know, decentralized protocols, HTTP, SMTP, all of that. Challenge was that it like there wasn't really data capture. It was highly technical. Um, the people who were building were not really able to capture value within that ecosystem. Um, then you progress to Web two. A lot of enterprising entrepreneurs came in and realized there was an opportunity to do those things, and so they built platforms that allowed them to capture a whole lot of that value. And you know, a lot of people think too much of that value. And what you ended up having was you kind of creators on one end, like the suppliers, and you had the consumers on the other end. And then you had these like aggregators and rent collectors that existed in the middle that were actually capturing most of the value, even though the two ends of the spectrum were what was really creating it. Um, and so what I find so interesting about Web3, you know, as, as people think about it, is a, a sort of return to um, the Web1 ethos of decentralization, of open protocols, of interoperability, these Lego building blocks, but also of sort of removing that middleman from this system so that the people that are creating value are able to capture more of that value. And how I connect that to X Games is I think of something like the X Games. I think of the fan and athlete community that creates so much of the value around something like that, around a piece of IP and a property like that. And I think about how that languishes when you have all of these middlemen that exist that are kind of sapping value out of the system and collecting rent along the way. And I think about how little of the value the community and the fans end up actually getting out of something where they created most of it. And so something like the X Games to me is a really cool laboratory-like opportunity where you could test something like a DAO, either in a pure or in a hybrid construct, um, to bring some of that value and have the community and the, and the fans and the athletes actually capture more of the value that they're creating in perpetuity. 
Yeah, and so sticking with that that concept, one that's an extremely you know controversial topic within crypto. This goes for you know Web two platforms as well, but more so crypto because you have stakeholders who are kind of real owners in a sense of these these protocols or applications that are being built. This concept of governance, right? And you mentioned there like a, a full if you went full blown DAO on one extreme or even a hybrid DAO. How do you think about that in the context of something like, let's say, you know, raising a DAO for the X Games, right? Is it something where everyone should have a, a say in how the X Games are run? Is there a certain hierarchy that exists where, you know, you have a company that actually runs the X Games and then the DAO participates in some type of way with fan engagement and things like that? I'm just curious how you think about governance, if that's yeah. a topic that you spend any time in. Yeah, it is. And it's something that I think about a lot because it's probably my biggest question that I have with regards to DAOs is um, how do you um, govern and make quick decisions during wartime as an entity if you are decentralized in your governance um, and if you have to have open voting and whatnot on on um, on big decisions, I, I think you know. I tend to think that like in peacetime, things are pretty easy. Like mm -hmm. numbers are going up and to the right, and a CEO can you know tell everyone to vote on uh, the things that they want to make a decision around, and that's fine. But during wartime, you have to be quick and you have to be agile and you have to make decisions. And actually, a lot of CEOs will tell you that centralized decision making is actually the best thing during those challenging times because they can just you know steer the ship and really take control. How does that function? if you have a DAO that is running a real operating entity. It's one thing when you're talking about a DAO buying the constitution, right? it's a piece of paper, there's no pension liabilities, there's no people, there's no decisions around licenses and you know all of these big property you know issues that you would have with something like the X Games, it's an operating company. And so my personal perspective with the X Games was that it was a cool opportunity to show a use case of a DAO in kind of a progressive way from where we were as, you know, do, doing nothing in the form of community ownership towards what a future might look like when there is full community owned DAO owned entities. Um, so my perspective was that it, a hybrid model was actually the one that um, would be most effective for doing something like this, where you would have, you know, a DAO as kind of one of the shareholders effectively on a cap table and carve out one or two core responsibilities that the DAO is going to kind of control from the perspective of the operating company. And so maybe that is the web threeification, quote unquote, of the X Games. And the DAO is the one that actually kind of makes decisions and drives, um, drives change around NFTs related to the X Games or athlete NFTs or, um, you know, different community level projects, things that are actually kind of related to Web3, the DAO would be in control of and voting on. Um, but then the broader operating entity and, you know, dealing with employees and all of the headaches that come with having this large dispersed organization would fall to other shareholders and a proper operating team that would exist at the top. So, I mean, my general gut with all of this stuff is that we are operating in a laboratory and the more people go out and try new things and like fuck stuff up and get it right and there'll be slivers of things that work and then a bunch of shit that doesn't work. I think that's a great thing. That's actually an evolutionary um, feature, not a bug of this entire space and where we're progressing. Yeah, it's really interesting. So there's almost this um, potential to separate governance from ownership, right? Because I know, you know, you're a big fan of this, this concept of the ownership economy and, and Web3 can obviously enable a large portion of that, right? And we can get into some of the reasons why that's so important, especially now more than ever. But this concept of being owners requires you to have some type of or participate in governance in some type of fashion. It sounds like 
you know, you view that this world in which you can have this hybrid model where governance and ownership, you know, can go hand in hand for those who are really actively involved, but it doesn't necessarily need to go hand in hand, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, the analog for that in the normal world is like voting and non-voting shares in public right. companies. Um, so I, I, I personally think like history is a good guide on all of this stuff. And I think the directional arrow of progress is pointing towards more community ownership of these entities. When the community is creating a ton of value for a company or for an entity, I love the idea of the community capturing some of that value they're creating. I think the arrow is pointing in that direction. If you were to follow it from the earliest days where people were incentivized through wages, and it was like the industrial age, to the startup and digital age where companies started realizing that giving equity to employees was a great way to incentivize them to keep working um, and to work really hard for a long period of time. That was kind of the age we're currently in. I would guess that the future, the next stage, is that communities start to generate more equity, that companies start carving out a portion of their equity from the get-go to incentivize the community that is being built around these companies. Because community-led companies, you know, we had um, Alexis Ohanian, the founder of Reddit, on um, on our show, on Where It Happens, the, the podcast I host, and um, he talked about minimum viable community going to become the standard. And I thought that was such a well-said point because so many companies are realizing that if they can build a fervent community from the get-go and foster that and really cultivate that, they can't die. I mean, communities are like the heart and lifeblood and they're so distributed. Um, it's much easier to thrive as a company that starts with community at the heart of it than it is for any other company. Right, no, 100%. And, and that strong community not only can serve as a strong motor around you, it almost becomes this, this competitive advantage, right? That if you put two, you know, companies like for like next to each other one with a strong community one without odds are you're going to bet on the one that has that strong community because it can it can almost live indefinitely a hundred percent i mean look at reddit right <laughs> um alexis talked about that on the on the episode but like reddit has thrived in spite of itself um from a product standpoint the product basically hasn't changed in 10 years and yet it just keeps growing and why is that it's the community uh it has this amazing community of people that are constantly on there looking at it every single day over and over again participating um and that is that is the ethos of all of this stuff we're talking about right it's a company like that that has been built community first um that can thrive despite the fact that technology hasn't gotten amazing it's not this gorgeous interface it's kind of crappy it looks pretty old world and that's okay mm -hmm. because people go for the actual community and the interactions it's interesting too because there's now especially with reddit some overlap in terms of integrating in some of these web3 aspects to it right things like community tokens for certain subreddits that they're going to eventually open up i'm curious if you guys got into any of the kind of future plans around reddit specifically what they're doing and maybe how that again parallels with this this web2 uh comparison you continue to make where community becomes such a an integral part of your business strategy right it's no longer an afterthought or something that gets created because oh we have a really strong brand that we we didn't even necessarily realize we had you know when we were starting this company now we recognize how strong community is and how important that is a, as a competitive advantage how is kind of reddit thinking about that you know uh going forward yeah i mean it's a huge part of how they're thinking about the future the challenge for them is going to be a regulatory one which we can talk about more broadly which is they're going to be a public company and they're going to be ipoing and they have a bunch of you know mainstream normal world investors who are all very thoughtful and see the value and the potential of reddit some amazing investors but you go into the public sphere and you know you're getting sec regulated and people are looking at you and they're looking at tokens and they're like is that a security how are you issuing that there's a lot of questions that get raised 
And so they're going to need to be companies that are thinking out in front of that, that are setting case precedent, precedent that are getting the SEC to think about these things in the right way. Um, I think it's generally pretty hard to argue that the tokens that, you know, you kind of have profits distributed from them aren't securities. Mm -hmm. Those look like securities to me. And I'm like, I'm a duck test guy. If it, you know, <laughs> looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. Um, so I think it's going to be hard in that regard. I just think people need to set a precedent for actually having a cleaner path to issuing a security that is a token or have some like token, you know, light or something or a um, security light, which is like a, what a token might be, not a full security, but it's an easier process, something like that. Um, but in general, I tend to think the government is not going to want to do things that they don't have purview over and they're going to want to look at all this stuff. They're going to want to regulate it. And I, I generally am like, I'm a free market guy. And so I, I don't love when the government just goes and sticks its nose into things and, you know, wants to regulate everything to death. Um, but they're going to do it. <laughs> and so I, I think people just need to kind of come to terms with it and build in a way that um, embraces that process. Because if you want actual progress, you have to play ball with those people um, in order to make it happen. Yeah, I'm actually curious, especially from an investor perspective, how you think about maybe that dichotomy between equity and tokens, right? And and sure, you're going to have some companies, maybe like a Reddit that will have both in some to some capacity. But as an investor, when you're thinking about, let's say you're coming in, you're investing in the equity of a company, right? Or an early stage startup, and there is some type of token component. How do you think about that in terms of the investment that you want to make and, and whether or not some of that value that might be occurring, let's say to token holders, depending on how it's designed, might get siphoned away from, you know, the, the core equity holders in certain yeah. cases. I think it adds a layer of risk if you, if you don't have a depth of understanding of the tokenomics or of how it's actually going to work in the context of the structure of the company. I think there's, I mean, <laughs> it, this is a broader discussion too, but like there's a lot of craziness happening within um, the investment world within the Web3 world, there's a lot of just like FOMO, you know, valuations are crazy. People are raising money at a $250 million, you know, fully diluted valuation with no product and there's no traction and it hasn't been released. And that is ludicrous and like completely insane to me as an investor because all that means is that you're just getting squeezed from a returns profile standpoint, mm -hmm. right? Like companies aren't all of a sudden, you know, 100x bigger than they, than they were in the past. Maybe there are a handful of companies, they're also centralized in Web2 companies that are much bigger than um, than companies were in the past. But I just think, you know, you're looking at a lot of craziness in these markets. And I don't think investors are thinking through investments as clearly as they once were, potentially. Um, the big guys still have good process around it. But the big guys also FOMO into things. And, like, you know, it's, it's not a sure thing that someone has spent a ton of time looking at it if you see someone leading mm -hmm. around with a big check. I, I've seen big investment funds that FOMO right into stuff because they hear that so-and-so and so-and-so is potentially going to lead it. Um, and their business model is accumulating AUM, uh, for, you know, in large part. These big funds, they're getting so rich off the fees off these funds that returns, it's kind of a different story. Uh, the accumulation of capital is the is the industry that you're you're really in in some of these cases on the big scale. Um, so I think there's a lot, there's a, there's a lack of discipline that we're seeing in the space right now. Um, that has to be a little bit concerning, um, for LPs that are investing, you know, behind these funds. Yeah, no, I think we're definitely seeing that on our side too. And there's an interesting kind of argument to be made and, and I certainly don't necessarily sit in this camp, but in some cases, 
I'm curious how you look at, again, a traditional equity investment versus let's say making a pure token investment, right? Because mm -hmm. of the you know dynamism around how tokens can be designed, how they can be, what they can be used for, how value can accrue to them. The fact that you layer in, you know, buzzwords like network effects and actually using these to bootstrap, whether it's protocols or applications and kickstarting that flywheel. You made the, 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 the comment earlier about, you know, kind of $250 million, you know, pre-product raises at this point, which is sadly become, you know, kind of commonplace. Um, the argument on the other side being, yeah, well, if this can be or create, you know, a $25 billion market, right? Obviously that that's that turns out to be hindsight 2020 being a good investment. Yeah. Obviously not every single one of those is gonna turn out that way, but I'm just curious how you're thinking yeah. about, you know, token a token valuation oh, totally. versus an equity valuation. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting. Um, the counterpoint to all of this, which you're kind of alluding to, is like if I go scattershot and invest in like every interesting web three with a with a strong team company that comes to me. Maybe if I put a hundred thousand in every single one, say I have a fund, I put a hundred thousand in every single one, and I know people that are actually doing this, and it might work. If there's one Solana in there, and I got into the pre-sale of Solana, it's fucking fine, man. My fund is great. I just returned the fund ten times, and I look like a genius. And all the other ones could blow up, and that's okay because I got the one, like the one layer one or layer two protocol that becomes massive, and I was a part of it. Um, so. I think there are a lot of people who are thinking that way and they're like, I can just accumulate a bunch of capital. I'm going to get carry on a bunch of capital. I'm going to get fees on a bunch of capital and I'm going to deploy it into pretty much everything. And if they're smart teams and they're building something that has a chance to be huge, amazing. The thing that I struggle with is I'm seeing decks or I'm seeing um, companies that are raising and literally in the materials or in the pitch that, you know, an SPV raiser is sending to me or whatever it is, they're saying like, okay, this is a presale at, you know, 10 cents a token or whatever. If this project becomes one of the top 20 crypto projects, um, it would be a hundred X return on your money. And my thing is like, yeah, well, no shit, right? Like, okay, if I'm investing in a seed stage startup and it becomes one of the top 20 market cap companies in the world, it's going to be a hundred X return, but no one would have the audacity to say that outside of this crypto world. And for some reason, that sounds normal to say, like, if this becomes a top 20 market cap token, it'll be huge. And I know there are like normal investors who read that. And they're like, Oh, holy shit, I got to get into this because that doesn't sound that crazy in your mind. Because I know a bunch of these, there's like random tokens that are top 20 mm -hmm. tokens. So it must be possible. But if you put it into terms of like real companies, oh, if this becomes one of the top 20 companies on the NASDAQ, I'm going to make a 1000x return you'd say like, yeah, well, that's, that's really hard. Actually, <laughs> you can't just become one of the top 20 companies on the you NASDAQ. There's a lot of big, on that. <laughs> yeah, there's a bunch of big companies, you got to build something amazing, um, and change the world at scale to go do that. Um, so that's the issue I have is like, there's this, I don't know if cognitive dissonance is the right way to put it. But I think people are able to convince themselves much more easily um, of the upside of these token projects, because they don't quite understand it. And so I try, to, I try to pull everything back and just put it into terms of like alongside what is the analog from the old world. Um, because I, I literally, I mean, that exact scenario happened to me a week ago. One of my friends was raising money for a, um, uh, an SPV he was putting together for this token project. And it was like at 10 cents a token. And um, he said in the memo, if this gets to a top 20, it's an 100x return. And I remember being like, oh shit, I got to put money into this, the 100x. And then I like sat down and thought about it and I was like, that's such a ludicrous statement to make <laughs> about a startup. Um, it makes it makes no sense to say it. And so I, that's kind of like my perspective right now on where the space is at, because I think 
there's just your natural inclination is to feel FOMO in an environment like this. Like, oh my, especially if you didn't participate in the run-up that has happened, because now you're like, shit, I didn't get rich. Everyone else got rich. This is my chance. I got to jump at that next thing that comes up. And the first person that puts it in front of me and offers me that opportunity, I'm going to jump at it, even if it doesn't really add up. Yeah. And I think you're spot on in terms of a lot of this being a byproduct of, I don't think misunderstanding is the right word for me to characterize it as, because again, to your earlier point, no one really knows where this space is going, right? Anybody who tells you they know exactly where it's going is, is just lying through their teeth. Mm -hmm. We don't have, there are going to be, sorry to interrupt you. There are going to be some amazing world changing technologies and companies built in this space. Like whether you're a hater of web three or a lover, fully red pilled, there is something happening that is real and there's amazing talent going and building. Is there also a gold rush and a bunch of people that are like doing cash grabs and there's going to be scams and frauds? Absolutely. That same thing existed in web two. Um, so it's not like a web three thing. It's a human nature thing that is happening around all of this. Sorry to interrupt you. No, no, no. And I was actually going to ask, trying to make a parallel to web two in your experience, have you seen if we, if we group crypto and web three under this, you know, broad, ecosystem or industry umbrella, right? Have you seen another industry that has not only the potential, you know, asymmetric growth potential that this one does in the aggregate, but is also innovating at such an almost seemingly like exponential pace that it, it it's almost as if no one person or even, you know, one firm or one investor can have a pulse on every single thing that's going on. And so by nature, there are going to be those kind of, you know, really out of the money bets that you're willing to make because mm-hmm. you think you might have an idea of what this could become. And it's, it's almost to your point that possibility of, you know, hitting one of these big winners that can return a fund 10x over almost continues to push people towards, you know, writing these checks for pre-product type investments because there is just that, again, optimism around what what's being built here. I'm curious mm-hmm. if you've ever seen a parallel in any other industry right, yeah. that either you've experienced or you've researched that that has this type of Yeah, I mean, potential. this is like, it's a mega trend. Um, whether people want to characterize it as that yet or not, I, I do think it's a mega trend. And with mega, you know, mobile is maybe one of the big mega trends. With megatrends in general, every time you think you're too late, you're actually probably early. Um, I wrote that on Twitter recently, and I really believe it. Like every time I've thought I was too late on crypto or Web3, like the first time I thought that was late 2016. And I remember feeling that exact emotion of like, ah, man, it ran up to this. And if I had spent more time really thinking about it and dug into some, you know, talked to more people and understood some of the technologies, things people were building, understood Ethereum. I mean, there was just a lot more that was happening than what I understood. And it wasn't just a gold rush. Um, And so I think, I mean, I would say mobile is probably one on a micro scale. I think like what happened with FinTech over, uh, you know, three to five year period. And, um, you know, from like 2014, 15 on through 2020 and the amount of talent that flew into just disrupting traditional finance um, still in a web two world. But I think that was a big, big shift. And there's some amazing companies built there financial services is like, you know, multiple trillions of dollars and web three is going to be a part of, you know, completely collapsing that and breaking that system up. It's going to be more challenging for web three to have an impact than I think most people think because of regulation around it. Um, but it will happen and there will be pockets of it that, um, you know, I, I'm most excited about companies that are like building kind of rails that bridge compliance and regulatory, um, 
with crypto and Web3 backends. Like I invested in this company, Meow, that's doing um, DeFi-enabled treasury for startups and regular businesses, super compliant, easy dashboard, easy for them to manage. Um, I love stuff like that because it's compliant and it gives normal companies access to this world that they want to understand that can get them much better yields than their 0% savings account or checking account that the cash is sitting in. And it's really clean and well-designed and it's compliant and it's regulatory. You know, it's kind of clear from a regulatory perspective. I love stuff like that because I think it's like our grant, you know, it's, it's our, it's our way of progressing from where we are to where we're going in the future. Um, but I think that that would probably be the, you know, the couple, I guess, like the trend towards mobile um, was probably the last big mega trend. And I think this is another one. I, we, we just have, it's hard to ignore talent flows and whether you believe in everything that's happening and all the technologies, whether you believe in the craziness and the narrative on Twitter and on social media and discords, all of those things, that's, that's kind of separate. It's hard to ignore talent flows. There's just so many smart people that are thinking about this stuff and going into it. Um, and I, I don't know, I tend to just follow if there's really smart people all really excited about something, man, it's fucking hard to ignore that. There's gotta be, yeah, there's gotta be something there. There's something there and maybe 99% of it is bullshit and that's fine. We had Gary V on our show and he was talking about NFT projects and he was like 99% of the NFT projects are going to be dead in five years. Um, and maybe that's a feature, not a bug, you know, <laughs> like maybe board ape and crypto punks are the two that survive and are, you know, create immense value. Um, but there's something there. There's a seed of something that is going to kind of be turned into something else in the future. Yeah, or at least just a sandbox for people to play around in and start building, right? Entirely new experiences, communities, membership models, what have you. There's there's so much you can do with it. Yeah, Some you can do stick, it quick. Most won't. And you, you can, can do, do it, it quick. quick, which is the coolest thing about it is like, I mean, it, it's in line, you know, the Web2 analog is like all the no-code, low-code tools that exist mm -hmm. and like Lego blocking things. But people are building shit really, really quick in Web3. Um, spinning up stuff, trying it, it collapses, that team goes and starts something else. Like that part of it is really cool. Um, because when you can test and learn and like failure is low cost, that tends to be a good environment for growth and entrepreneurship. Um, and I think we're kind of in that environment right now where people are just um, dynamic, they're moving quickly, they're testing things, it's not working, they'll jump to something else. And when you have the cost of failure low, I think it's a, it's a good environment for this. I'm really curious, and I don't know if you've spent much time thinking about this or have a thesis around it, but you mentioned people building things really quickly, right? And and at a certain point, you know, that concept of Legos where people are building on top of other things and these these buzzwords like composability start get thrown around. Where do you see the most value or the biggest opportunity for value to accrue in terms of if you think about that traditional kind of, you know, app versus protocol or platform versus protocol stack. Do you see this as a race to be the gateway or entry point for, let's say, the mainstream or, or mainstream consumers eventually to come into the space and interact with these things? And that manifests in the interface of wallets or something that really serves as that gatekeeper? Or how do you think about where value is going to accrue in this space, whether it's the application or the protocol layer? Yeah, um, I would rather personally invest in protocols, but that's just because I don't, it, it's, it, for me, it's like a time trade-off where I just think about, am I going to put in the time to understand all of the applications and understand, you know, the different interactions and the technology? Probably not. But am I comfortable investing in the protocol and saying, um, I know people are going to be building on top of this because I see the developer activity and how many people are flooding to that. That's just me personally, and that's because of what my time trade is. Um, 
I think investing strategically at this point in applications is probably your highest alpha, right? If you go pick um, an amazing application, it, there's only so many layer one protocols or layer two, but you know, things that are going to be built at this point, people are building on similar rails. And so the alpha has kind of gotten squeezed, I think a little bit. I, that's not to say that I don't think that Ethereum's a 10x from here, or Solana's a I don't know, 20x from here. Like, I, I actually do believe those things. Mm -hmm. um, but I think your highest alpha is going to be from being able to spend the time and pick the best applications and the best teams. It's the same as like startups, right? If you're, if you're going to go mm -hmm. pick the most amazing teams. Um, but for me, the time trade is better spent on like infrastructure and whether that's protocols or whether that's people that are building the rails that onboard people into this world. Um, that's how I've been thinking about it personally. Yeah. And that's partially because I'm not technical enough to be dangerous in some of these areas. I'm not a crypto focused investor. I'm never going to spend enough time to go deep enough to feel comfortable on picking applications. I would gladly put money into someone's crypto fund that I think will do that. And I have some friends who are doing amazing things in that regard on like Web3 focused funds that are mm -hmm. brilliant, have teams and geniuses that are going and figuring that stuff out. I'd rather outsource it to them to figure that stuff out. Now I can just buy a bunch of, you know, Bitcoin, ETH, and Solana, and Luna, or whatever. Like, go play the protocol game and, and just be happy with that. Yeah, and lean into your strength, strengths, 100%. Um, speaking of which, I'd love to get into, you know, you mentioned a project company earlier that you invested in, but I'd love to get into, you know, some of the plays that you're looking at, where you've invested in this space, whether it's individual projects you're excited about, if it's subsectors of this uh, space that you're interested in or that's catching your eye. You know, what's, what's really, um, where are you spending the most of your time these days? Yeah, I mean, I'm really excited about the next generation of um, crypto and Web3 uh, users and the companies that are going to be onboarding those people to the to this world. And so I think about that as like you kind of had your tech native people, digitally native people um, understanding this from the early days. You had the like real enthusiasts in the 2010s on through 2020. Now you've brought in like anyone that's interested in technology has poked around, spent time with it, is thinking about it, whether they're skeptical or on board with it, they probably understand how MetaMask works and they're like mm. starting to get it. Um, I think this next wave, like from here through 2030, and it's probably going to take longer than anyone thinks, is this new wave of bringing, you know, quote unquote, normal people into this future and into crypto, into Web3, into um, all of these technologies, and in a way that makes sense to them. Um, I think these like these words actually just confuse people, and they put mm -hmm. up a put up a wall in front of them. But I, you know, I think of it as like my parents. You know, they they are interested. They're smart people. My dad's a professor at Harvard, right? Like he wants to understand these things, um, but there's not a good way to really integrate him into the experience yet. And there's a lot of people that are thinking about that, that are building, you know, APIs that, um, you know, enable custodial wallets to be plugged into normal apps, things like that. Um, things like Meow that I mentioned that are kind of allowing normal companies, Web2 companies to integrate into DeFi um, in a logical and compliant way that feels good. Um, stuff like that is where my head is at right now, because um, I think it's just very clear there is going to be a trend of millions and millions, I mean, 
probably billions over the coming years as you think about India, China, you know, emerging markets that are growing population, probably billions of people that are going to be onboarded into this. Um, I think that is an amazing opportunity. The other one I would say is developing world that never had traditional financial institutions cover people are going to skip that entire step, in my opinion, and go straight to decentralized and more Web3 enabled technologies that because these people were underbanked or completely unbanked. And I think the companies that are going to rise are going to be completely um, skipping over that whole step of history that the US and that uh, developed markets went through. Do you think the next, we'll call it wave of quote unquote mainstream adoption, right? And that can be over, the, let's call it over the next 10 years. Do you think DeFi and targeting, let's say, different, whether it's developing markets or, or the, the unbanked versus banked is going to bring in the most amount of people at this point? Or do you think it's actually going to be the kind of, we'll call them consumer facing applications, similar like we have today mm -hmm. that provide some type of, whether it's utility, some type of experience, whether it's virtual experiences and, you know, all, across all these different kind of metaverse platforms that are being built. Like, what is it that drives that mainstream consumer into this? Do you have any, do you have any thoughts there? Because I know you obviously have a background in, in consumer yeah. tech. My, my number one overarching thought here is that the next wave of adoption is going to happen without people knowing they are interacting with crypto or Web3. Right. I think the consumer is not going to know that what they are doing is DeFi or crypto enabled. And they're going to be interacting with it in such a seamless and normal feeling way with consumer technology that they won't know and won't care what's on the back end and the fact that it is actually decentralized or that it's actually partially decentralized or whatever it is. Um, those are going to be the companies that win, in my opinion. It's not going to be the people that like explain DeFi to the masses or try to do that because most people don't give a shit. Most people actually right. don't want it. I mean, no, most people don't want to know how Facebook works and how their ad platform works or how Google works. Like I, I certainly don't. And I, I consider myself pretty normal. Um, I just want it to work and I want it to work really well. And I want it to be better 10 X better than what my prior experience was. And so that's my perspective in general is that this next wave of adoption is not going to be people that particularly care how the technology works. It's going to be people that want a better experience. And so the onus is on these companies to actually deliver a better experience. It can't be, you know, a worse experience, but hey, great, it's crypto and Web3, so you should use it. It has to actually be a better experience than the alternative technology that exists from Web2. And actually, it should completely mask and ab abstract the fact that there's all this complexity going on that allows it to deliver that better experience. But that will be the holy grail of all of this, is when companies can deliver on that promise to consumers. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on the kind of because tokenization has i think cuts two ways right on one hand there's the optionality around ownership and, and governance as, as we've talked about and active participation but then there's this other you know flip side or dark side of it where the more you financialize different aspects of your life right the more you tokenize different aspects of your life it almost becomes one giant almost trading game in terms mm -hmm. of whether it's social status trading you know culture as an asset class at this point I'm just curious how you think about maybe use cases in which tokenization doesn't make sense. And then on the flip side, which industries outside of DeFi or outside of uh, financial services, as we've talked about, are actually most ripe for disruption from something like Web3? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> let's see. So 
Yes. Uh, to, to answer your first question, yes, I think you can kind of tokenize too much and you like turn everything into a little bit of like a status or money game where it shouldn't be perhaps and you end up um, suffering culturally, socially. It feels like a Black Mirror episode, right? You're like everything's tokenized. Mm-hmm. Um, other industries, I mean, I, t- I think that like education is probably one mm-hmm. that is ripe for doing things like this, enabling um, enabling more people to participate in and support the growth and development of children um, and really feel like they have stake in that so that you're kind of building a community around a child, like the whole it takes a village concept. I think people will do interesting things around that. Um, I think there's a massive opportunity to completely change how people get jobs um, in, in this new world and like remove this whole barrier that has existed around credentials and legacy and being wealthy. I, I just think this has a massive um, potential to completely tear down the walls of credentialism and make things really merit-based where you, you know, the, the saying goes that talent is evenly distributed, but opportunity is not. I think we have an opportunity with tokenization, with Web3, with some of these new technologies that are being developed to start moving closer to a world where opportunity is evenly distributed and that someone born in India that has access to the internet, um, they could be born on the streets, but they go and they build and they create and their you know resume that sits on chain has all of the things they've actually done and built and not credentials or like the fact that their parents were wealthy and got them into a school or private school or whatever. Um, actually, you're like real tangible things you've done. Um, and that is an exciting thing to me. And I don't know exactly how people will play tokens into all of that or where they will, where they will sit. Um, but I love the idea of these technologies enabling um, anyone with an internet connection, and by the way, with Starlink, everyone's going to have an internet connection soon um, to participate in the future and in building wealth. For those who aren't familiar, would you mind just uh, sharing a little bit about Starlink and, and what that is? Yeah, the very little that I know. I mean, it, it's a huge part of SpaceX and the value that they've created. So Elon Musk, um, you know, with SpaceX and dramatically um, improve the cost of rocket launches because they're able to reuse rockets, which was a huge barrier um, and honestly has unlocked the space economy in a lot of ways because they forced an entire industry to rethink what had been a really archaic process. Um, But as part of that, they've launched a bunch of satellites, um, these Starlink satellites that are providing, um, eventually providing um, wireless connectivity everywhere. Um, And that includes, you know, you could be out, in the middle of nowhere somewhere and still have wireless connectivity, which we don't today. But soon, you know, within the next 10 years, I would imagine anywhere on planet Earth, you can have good, strong wireless signal. Um, and that's a huge unlock for developing for developing countries where um, that doesn't exist. You know, it's probably on a similar scale to what like Reliance Geo did in India by giving everyone free phones and bringing a billion people onto the internet. Um, it probably has that big of an impact long-term. Yeah. So I have to ask this because as a content creator yourself, <laughs> have you put any thoughts around, because I know, and, and I would actually love for you to, to talk a little bit about what you're doing. You mentioned the podcast that you host. I know you're building a community around um, what you guys are doing. Have you guys put any thought around how, whether it's NFT memberships or tokens might play into the long-term, let's say flywheel around what you're trying to build uh, within your own community? Or how are you thinking about that from maybe a more personal standpoint? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we will do something in that in that regard for sure. You know, kind of special acts. I, I tend to think with 
with NFTs, at least for me personally, where I go to with it is like unique special access um, and real utility tied to it rather than just like pretty artwork. Um, and so we will do, we'll, we will do something like that for sure within our community. I wanted it to kind of slowly and gradually build to the scale that I feel like is kind of minimum viable scale for a thriving community, which for me, I'm going to think of as like 10,000 people probably that are like active and engaged, um, before we do something like that. Um, uh, but we definitely will. And I think about NFTs a lot, um, not in this, not in the traditional way, maybe that everybody has been thinking of them. You know, I won't rush into anything in that regard. Um, and I want to be really deliberate and make sure that it's really delivering on the value that people have invested in it. Um, but I think creator NFTs are interesting. And I, I mean, I think social tokens are interesting. I think creator NFTs are in interesting. That doesn't mean I'm going to go launch all of these things, but I find them very intellectually interesting. And there's definitely a there there when it comes to all of that stuff. Yeah. So as we kind of get ready to wrap things, as we've talked, there's so many different directions that we could obviously take this and have taken this. It sounds like to me, and I'd love to get in your own words, if you had to summarize what Web3 is or what Web3 means to you, right? It sounds like it could be a number of things, an equalizer, it's about ownership. But in your own words, what is what does Web3 mean to you? I guess I would define it as like the logical next version of the internet. Um, and I think it means community governance, community ownership, decentralized, um, but while maintaining the capabilities that actually um, you know, made web two great. Mm. And I think it comes with a layer level of interoperability. That was not the case with web two that allows people to build and iterate quickly. You know, this like Lego blocks concept. Um, that's probably how I would, how I would define it how I would, how I would think about it. Um, you know, it's like internet owned by users and builders. And that's something special if it works. I also don't think it needs to be this false dichotomy where web three exists and web two dies. Um, you know, mobile rows and desktop still exists. I'm talking to you on a desktop right now, as a matter of fact. So uh, I think that like the false narrative of the dichotomy when one has to die for the other one to live and thrive is actually a detriment to the progress that that might otherwise occur. Yeah. And just you saying that as I was planning to wrap this, it sparked at least one more question. <laughs> and that's around the future of social, right? And, and specifically these social networks and platforms. Do you see a world in which web two, we'll call it, you know, Twitter or Facebook and the like still not only survive, but can even thrive in a web three world. And they're used more for, let's say distribution versus web three is more about ownership and governance. So if, if you're a content creator, let's say on, on, you know, Twitter, for example, Twitter is still a very integral part of your strategy, your marketing strategy, trying to grow your own audience. But then you funnel people to, let's say, a more niche Web3 community that you're a part of or that you've started. Like, how do you just see the future of social yeah. in a Web3 context? Yeah, I mean, I think that the Web2 platforms will still likely persist as like your top of funnel discovery. Um, but people will increasingly use them to shuttle people to their own channels. And that has existed, right? You use Twitter to shuttle people to your um, medium blog or whatever it was. I just think that those medium blogs and those platforms will be more decentralized in the future. People might use ghost, some, you know, something that looks more decentralized um, and something where they can really engage in a much more immersive experience with their fans and their super fans and their community. Um, but those big platforms are good at the like massive aggregation of users and that will function and you'll need it still in a kind of top of funnel discovery way. But will you focus on it? 
probably not as much um, mm. because you'll be able to earn a much better you know living off of interacting with your real core fervent loyal fans that exist in the bottom of that funnel so i think there'll be a much better way to integrate and to kind of connect the two in the future but um that's my general view on it yeah no that's, that's really well said so listen, before I let you go, I, again, really appreciate you, you stopping by and talking to me. We definitely have to do this again, especially if you're ever in New York soon. Um, but I live here, man. I'm, I'm down to do it in see, person perfect, for sure. Perfect. Then our next one has to be in person, maybe over a glass down. of tequila. Um, where can people find you for those who are curious? Um, so I'm at Sahil Bloom on Twitter, S-A-H-I-L, Bloom like a flower. Um, I've got a newsletter called The Curiosity Chronicle, which is currently on Substack, although to the point on decentralization, maybe I take more control of it in the future. Um, and uh, and then we have a podcast, which is probably the thing that I'm most excited about, um, called Where It Happens. It's on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, wherever you, wherever you listen to and find podcasts. We talk about tech, Web3, business, finance get a lot of great guests, um, and have a lot of fun with it. Yeah. And I can say from personal experience, I'm a subscriber to it and I've, I've loved all the content and the guests you guys have brought on. So looking forward I, to more of that in the future, man. I appreciate it, man. This was a blast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, thanks for coming on. Hey everyone. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please support the show by hitting subscribe on your podcast app, writing a review, or sharing this episode on Twitter or LinkedIn. Stay tuned for the next episode out soon.